0: This is Alan McCarthy, County Executive for Cecil County, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Hello, and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canali here with my co-host, Michael Sanderson. Michael, how are you today? Kevin, I'm okay. How about you? Hanging in there. Session is well underway. And today on the podcast, we will talk about the first clues from the governor's budget, including the fact that it will not include a reconciliation bill. We'll also give you some updates on a scattershot of issues that we've talked about here recently. And Michael, let's jump right in. We have a lot to talk about today. First, let's talk about the governor and his budget proposal. Today, he gave a press conference giving some of the clues as to what will be in his budget proposal when it's released on Friday.
1: Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, this has become a, a habit of this administration. The governor himself with the lieutenant governor and the budget secretary do a sort of press event and a walkthrough. And it's just the bird's eye view, the big issues that they want to put out there. But um, we, we saw him run through you know a, a dozen or two dozen bullet points of things that he thinks are highlights in his fiscal plan, and uh, there are going to be a number of things that affect counties, and I think a, a number of things that will probably land pretty well with a lot of constituents
0: yeah, so what they mentioned today, of course, was that education funding will be up for every county. The governor says that he will fund a record $6.9 billion for K-12 through education, and, and that's operating funding.
1: So we, we, we knew that the formulas were driving funding up overall, right. but his, his being specific that he is once again going to provide some extra funds to ensure that no single jurisdiction goes down – that wasn't a certainty. right? So um, so that is a discretionary decision on the governor's part, not just following the the statutory formulas that say, here's how much each jurisdiction gets, because sometimes, particularly in a jurisdiction that has declining enrollment or may have had a big change in their wealth or something like that, um, yeah, when these things happen, you end up with blips in the formula, and sometimes jurisdictions go down. I don't think we've got the details yet, but it's that Sounds like there are a few jurisdictions that, if if we just left the ship to its own devices and just funded the formulas to the penny, you'd have Baltimore City and a few counties would have their their distribution go down year over year. That's tough for a school system who has a lot of fixed costs. So right. um, so so the governor has has proposed again sort of a patch over and. I think last year he wanted to ensure every jurisdiction got at least 100000 more than last year. I'd be surprised if this weren't a repeat of the same thing.
0: That would make sense. And obviously it's good to hear that everyone will at least be held harmless. Some of the other highlights that they mentioned today, $3.3 billion for transportation. You have some money in here for school safety, $30 million. We heard 20% more money for the opioid and heroin fight here in Maryland. So some of the highlights there, Michael, one of the most interesting Pieces of this is that there won't be a reconciliation bill. So this is commonly referred to as the BRFA. BRFA. Let's talk a little bit about the BRFA and why it's significant that there won't be a BRFA this year, at least from the county perspective.
1: I, I think. I mean, part of this will be county talk, and 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 that's fine. It's partly partially what you signed up for with the with the Mako podcast. But um, the Budget Reconciliation and Financing Act, we've seen almost every year. It's become nearly an annual ritual. Governor Hogan was able to have a year without one during his first term. One of his four years was able to get by without a reconciliation bill like that. But the the, the reason most years oblige a reconciliation bill is that the budget itself, Maryland's got this peculiar structure. And we've talked about this from time to time that you know money can't get into the Maryland budget without the governor placing it there the legislature has limited ability to restrict funds but they can't move it around they can't increase funding right so we have a we have a peculiar it's it's a one of a kind budget process that vests a lot of authority with the governor but one of the offsets there is that the budget bill itself is the the only thing it can do is spend money and then sort of you know restrict where it goes or time it and that sort of thing so In a year when the budget plan requires more than just spending money out of the general fund and the various special funds, typically the governor has to come to the legislature and say – I know these are the general formulas and these are the general rules, but this year I want to skip a year on this growth or I want to flat fund this item rather than give it this increase, or we want to repeal this requirement, et cetera, et cetera. Those things typically get lumped together into the one big bill, the BRFA, you know, everybody calls it big Burfa, or whatever. Berfa. Yeah. So, but the, so the absence of a bill like that this year is a pretty strong indicator of what we'd been talking about, that this doesn't look like the most challenging times. These are not going to be the choppiest seas. For the General Assembly being able to digest this budget plan and for the governor to sell his proposals, uh, it being in just a spending plan without nicks and dents and cuts and do-withouts and so forth, uh, uh, that seems like the times we're in, uh, at least for now.
0: Right. So no burfa And so when we talk about you know, formulas. So anything that's in statute is at least going to remain the same.
1: Well, at least in the governor's proposal. Right. Now, the, the legislature could basically, if they wanted to make some, you know, some some n- nips and tucks and so forth in the budget, they could say, let's look at the funding for police departments or look at libraries or community colleges or other other things that are funded through statutory formulas. And they could Pass their own bill. Right. Uh, that would be an unusual step. We haven't seen that in the past. The last time Governor Hogan came to the legislature without a BRFA, they passed a budget plan without a burfa. Right. There, there, there weren't all those reconciling moves necessary to make that budget work. So I think that's the smart money for this year is that this will be a more straightforward – I mean there are always differences of opinion about A, B, and C, sure.
0: but it may not be A through Z this year. That's a, That's good to hear. And I want to talk about one more interesting part of the presentation today – And Michael, that's tax breaks and opportunity zones. And this is 100% of your state property taxes. There are other carrots here talk about what that means
1: it's interesting so the the, um, the the governor has a pretty ambitious plan I think to to really emphasize opportunity zones this was one of the the less heralded pieces of the federal tax reform in late 2017 right. to come up with a pro, come up with a program that says let's find census tracts that are downtrodden and underdeveloped across each state you identify them and then we'll make them eligible for a bunch of preferential treatment for businesses and other growth opportunities that can happen there. Sure. Um, as it turns out, Maryland has already been doing this kind of thing. We're pretty aggressive with enterprise zones and things of that nature. And I think Maryland did a pretty good, maybe not quite perfect job, but a pretty good job overlaying the, the federally designated opportunity zones onto places that we've already got pieces in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's interesting, uh, like with, with incentives in general and with economic devel- development in general. I think there's a there's a wise frame of mind that the perfect economic development incentive is you give the private business exactly what they need to make the decision you want. Right. So if they're if they're right on the fence between Maryland and Tennessee or or Maryland and Bolivia or whatever, Guam that you know Guam, right? Oh, that's we may have to fight hard. Yeah, to, you know. tough. But 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 uh, so it, you know, but if you're having that battle and you come up with here's the package. And it just barely wins the day from a from a like pure, perfectly functioning machine perspective you 'd like to say that 's the ideal way to do it, sure. Um, what I find interesting here is for Maryland to double down and say we 're going to add a series of incentives to to the federal opportunity zones the the advantages of being in a federal opportunity zone for the next decade
0: are really big especially when you're thinking capital gains yeah capital gains is the big here.
1: one you get to push back capital gains and don't recognize them for a really long time right. that's a big deal so I don't know how much you know. I mean, Maryland's going to have a proposal to try and make this work here, and my suspicion is county governments and our economic development community will be supportive, and we'll probably like this idea. But I I wonder how much more can we do to make that zone look attractive. If it's already been covered with gold as this is the place you want to be for your expansion. Um, what, what do we accomplish? Are we moving the needle by saying, Oh, by the way, We'll waive your property taxes or, or other things like that that are pennies
0: on the dollar compared to the big advantages so maybe dangling some carrots that we yeah. don't need to get dangled yeah
1: I mean I mean that's the kind of thing the general Assembly will think through and I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to be critical of the proposal but I think I think we may be butting up against those questions with this series of incentives so we got to see the details and there, there are a number of areas across this state that could use the attention and use investment and we've got we've got places Places that you know you 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 can walk around and see infrastructure that could be put to better use. So let's get those square feet to use and put jobs in buildings. I mean, who's, who's not going to be for that?
0: Yeah, it sounds great. Obviously, and of course, there are multiple locations within the state that could use this kind of investment. And speaking of the economy and the budget, we heard a presentation this week, Michael, in the Budget and Taxation Committee from Moody's all about the economy, the economy in Maryland, the economy in the U S worldwide, where we are now, and then looking ahead to the out years where things might go from here.
1: Yeah. Moody, Moody's is a big outfit that many people are familiar with them as a bond rating agency. So they are one of the shops where they, they assess Maryland's bonds as being AAA a and very highly credit worthy, And they go to someplace like Illinois and they say, you guys are B minus and you're bordering on being junk and so forth. Um, Um, That's one wing of the Moody's enterprise, but they have another wing of analytics, uh, people who do economic forecasting and analysis and so forth. Uh, Moody's works with the state of Maryland and and contributes to the data that the state uses for its official revenue forecasting. And they donate some of their staff time to come at the beginning of every legislative session. They have either Mark Zandi, who is sometimes their rock star guy, um, or one of their other uh, regional or national economists come join in Maryland. And, and talk things through. So, so that presentation was was yesterday in budget and tax. I think we can talk a, a bit about this, but uh, if if this wets your whistle and you want to see the whole thing, uh, the general assembly website has that whole presentation available on video. Uh, go to the budget and taxation committee in the Senate uh, for this Wednesday, and uh, and you can watch that presentation. It's 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 worth your time if you're into this kind
0: of stuff. Oh, very much so, and I think. We know things are good right now. We are in the second longest period of expansion in American history. And if we make it to June of this year, it will be the longest period of expansion. So things are going really well right now. But everybody's question is, I keep hearing about the recession. When's this recession coming? And we've heard from a few economists, including Moody's now, that their best guess is mid-2020, so not too far down the road.
1: Right. And that's, I mean, that obviously makes this a little challenging to come up with a multi-year fiscal plan. I mean, we've been talking about the structural deficit, and we already have a number looming that doesn't look great. Right. So even though this year's budget, we we just got through saying, this year's budget doesn't look like a tough one. Uh, The the governor was talking about uh, cost of living adjustments. And steps and so forth for state employees, you know, three percent cola, yeah, which we haven't seen, deal. we haven't seen for a while. Um, yeah, they're making commitments for school construction. I, uh, I think I caught the number right: four hundred thirty-eight million bucks for school constructions. So that's making a commitment that we're going to have to pay for over future years right. uh, toward infrastructure. So all those are sort of signs that, that this is like full steam ahead. Um, and the economists are more or less saying maybe not so much so you know be prepared for for choppier seas not not too far out um and and you know talking about the the smart the smart people are putting money in the sock cuz you probably aren't going to need it too soon
0: right and the governor speaking of put money in the sock the governor announced today they're going to put 6.5% of the budget into reserves uh, so obviously they're thinking ahead we'll see what the general assembly wants to do they're thinking of ways to save down the line as well of course Moody's told them they needed to Think about the future, but we know there are a few issues that are impacting the economy. We know some international issues, such as trade issues between the United States and China. We have Brexit going on in Europe.
1: We're not going
0: on. We're not here. going on. Yeah, I mean, a hard Brexit would mean just chaos uh, in Europe. But despite all that, Michael, investors—they're still investing money. They're still the banks are still loaning money out, even with all this uncertainty going on. It seems like investors are pretty bullish, at least on the short term. But here in Maryland, we're looking at mid-2020, so obviously the message here is don't spend a bunch of money that you're not going to have in out years, so don't do anything now that you're not going to be able to handle later on.
1: Because the reality is the business of government is, in, in some ways, it's counter-cyclical with the economy, and this is, it's an unfortunate reality, but when the economy goes south when you have a recession or when you have a downturn and so forth and you start to feel more people drift and claim unemployment and they drain your reserves for that program you have more people popping up on the medicaid rolls and that's an entitlement program so when you show up and say I don't have the income to pay for for healthcare I want to fill out the form and I'm entitled to that the state picks up half of those costs right. so The cost side of government, particularly at the state level, goes up in tough times right as the revenues, which are mostly driven by today's economy, Um, the state government is not – I mean the the property tax is a relatively small part of state revenues. Uh, Local governments have some sort of – cushions on both the up and downside because of property taxes, but income and sales taxes, they're the workhorses for the state and both of those you feel right away. In the space of a couple of months, you know, the economy goes south or jobs leave or you know they shut down that extra extra line at the plant, that sort of thing, right. and you feel it right away in your withholdings, you feel it right away in sales taxes and you know state government ends up with that pinch when
0: the economy gets weak. That's a great place, I think, for us to take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about the impact of the federal government shutdown. Yeah,
1: one more looming part of this. One more looming
0: part of this, and particularly here in Maryland and in our region. We'll also give you some updates on a host of issues that we've discussed previously. And we'll tell you about a couple things that we're looking forward to. All that and more after the break. Welcome back to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale back here with Michael Sanderson. And Michael, we got some numbers from the state comptroller, Peter Francho, about the biweekly impact of the federal shutdown on the state of Maryland. And the comptroller estimates that there are about 172,000 federal workers here in Maryland. $778 Seven hundred and seventy eight million dollars in lost wages, remember every two weeks fifty seven point five million lost in income tax revenue, and then two point one million in sales tax revenue those are those are real numbers here michael
1: yeah um it's, it's no surprise the geography of Maryland wrapped right around washington d c and there's quite a number of federal agencies that are either housed in Maryland or they're close enough to Maryland where you know we we benefit from that workforce and from their presence. Uh, so it's no surprise that these are big numbers. Right. And, and even though this is nominally a partial shutdown, you look at the pieces of the federal government that are going without funding day to day right now. And it's some of the big pieces, you know, the department of defense, I mean, there's, there's some of the pieces that really, really would affect Maryland in particular. So, so we're going to feel this and, there are some pieces in that. I mean, I think the working assumption is that at least the overwhelming share of these federal employees, uh, they'll go without a paycheck for this stretch. And then they will be – they'll be made whole after this is – after the dust has all settled. So that's that's everybody's expectation. Um, number one, you still have – you know, you still have – Problems with cash flow sure. and so forth, right? So, yeah, we know – I mean I, I read an, I, a random item in the paper that like pawn shops are doing gangbusters yes. business because yes. federal employees are showing up bringing
0: in their jewelry and hawking it because you just need to – like you need to eat. Right, you know? and you remember a lot <laughs> of these folks too, you know, some of them are going to work. They're essential without pay. Right. Even the ones who aren't, it's, it's tough to find a second job, especially when you don't really know when this shutdown is going to end, if right. Right at all, right. hopefully – 2 days uh, right. or 2
1: months and right so, so, so it's not
0: that easy
1: plus we know there's a whole wave of other uh, employers and employees affected by this where there won't be any making them whole right. so so the you know the 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 various contractors who do work with and around the federal government whether it's military or civilian um, there's all sorts of stuff around Aberdeen. Or there's all sorts of stuff around NIH or around the Department of Social Security and so forth, where IT people or even if it's just you know restaurants and sure. haircuts and so forth for these employees, um, if that you know if, if if people can't afford to eat out and can't afford to you know get their haircut right now, they're doing that stuff at home and they're packing their lunch that sort of thing because times are tight because you don't have a paycheck. Right, that, people aren't getting you know three sub a day when they come back and get a double paycheck.
0: It's it's such a good point, and it has an effect not only on the workers, but also on Main Street, on businesses. And Michael, I mean, if this continues, if this continues, Moody's says that if this was prolonged, if this went into months and months months and months, this itself could create a recession locally here in Maryland, Virginia, D.C. This would be enough to do it. Obviously, we don't know how long this will last, hopefully not much longer, but I think that's interesting that this is having a huge effect here in Maryland, Virginia, D.C., but if this continues, I mean, what do you see happening? You know, I think we know right. that counties here in Maryland are stepping up to the plate and trying to provide relief for folks who have been affected here. Right, right. But, but what if this continues, I mean, what, what do you see happening in the long run?
1: I mean there's there's only so much you can do, right? And I mean, yeah, there's gonna be we've already seen a sense of charity and we've seen nonprofit organizations trying to be helpful. Mm-hmm. And you're you're right, we have a number of county governments that have trying to they're trying to provide resource guides and they're trying to provide, you know, community places where you know the families who are directly affected can come have a community meal other things like that so right. there's a lot of that going on it's i mean it's not like federal workers are, are suddenly all homeless but just being without cash there's an awful lot of people who can't afford to miss two paychecks that's right right that's so right. so I, I i don't know i mean you certainly have to think that that one piece of this will be a lot of forbearance by creditors and people who just, you, know, you have to recognize the situation citizens are in. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, what do you do about paying off your student loan or paying your water bill? Or I think we're already seeing the beginnings of programs saying, we're just going to do a forgiveness, you know, a temporary forgiveness during this stretch. Cause we know there's lots of people in our County affected by the shutdown. And I mean, you you don't you don't want to put you don't want to put hundreds of your residents into you know financial jeopardy, paying extra fines and fees and so forth. Right. right? I mean, yeah. You, I mean, no one wants to do that uh, if if it looks like this is a result of an external thing. So. I don't know. We haven't been here before. We've 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 had federal shutdowns that have been a couple of weeks, and then they dribble away. Mm -hmm. So, whatever the circumstances are that got us to this point, once you're into thirty days and sixty days and a hundred days, it takes on dimensions we've never seen before. But yeah, this added in to an already kind of precarious economic situation for a state like Maryland, n- not really what we needed
0: right now. Right. So <laughs> if this goes into March, I mean, this this could cause major, major problems in our region. So hopefully that won't happen. But I agree. I mean, I'm, it's, it's great to see counties across the state uh, offering all of these services and, and sort of acting as a clearinghouse for different right. nonprofits and, right. and connecting folks to those resources. So that's great. Hopefully, we won't have to do that much longer. Hopefully, they stop this madness in D.C. and and, and get people back to work. But, yeah. but we'll it, have to see.
1: But it looms as an immediate asterisk over all the things we've talked about. This should be a relatively calm budget year. Very true. If we're, if we're to the middle or late February and the federal shutdown is still as it appears today, then – I think the state would be duty bound to come in and say we've got to write down revenues for this year and maybe even for the beginnings of next year, and you know potentially suddenly what looked like an easy budget year might have I I don't know you know hundred two hundred three hundred million dollar problem if I mean if if the heels are dug in so deep in D.C. that this isn't going to get resolved then you got to start looking at next year's revenue because that's that's a lot of income and sales tax and so forth that wouldn't be there.
0: Yeah, so obviously we're going to keep an eye on this, as everyone is, but stay tuned. We'll, of course, yep. continue to talk about this, give you the latest updates. But, Michael, let's get into a few of the issues that we have talked about recently. And the, the first one being sports betting, right? We we know that this is a, a hot topic here in Maryland. There was a bill last year that would have put it on the ballot this year, but you know maybe there were too many questions to pass that bill. First of all, Michael, why is it so complicated just to to bring sports betting here to Maryland? I mean, we've seen other states right. doing it. What is so complicated about here in Maryland?
1: So we, we got a little feedback after talking about this briefly at, at one of our last couple of, of, of episodes of the podcast. So I wanted to elaborate on this a little bit. Um, this traces back to Maryland's expansion of basically commercial gaming through slots and then eventually through table games at the regulated casinos in the state right and the way Maryland went about doing that um, it was sort of a big political compromise but there were there were a sizable number of legislators in Annapolis. Who said, I don't really want to vote to approve gaming, but I'd be willing to vote to put it before the citizens and let them make the call. So the practical way to do that was to draft this as a new article in the state constitution, which means amending the constitution goes directly to the citizens. And that was the way they went about doing it. So – in the process of saying we're going to authorize we're going to authorize commercial gaming and here's what it looks like and that's what article 19 basically says of the maryland constitution it also has a couple of clauses that effectively say after this the legislature cannot authorize any additional forms or expansion of commercial gaming right and then the only way to do that is by amending the Constitution. So a few years later when Maryland wanted to go from just slots to having full-on table games and the more conventional casino-style gaming, mm-hmm. it required – I mean longtime Maryland voters – remember, this has been on the ballot twice, once to do slots, and then a the second time to amend that section to authorize table games. So – it reads in the Maryland Constitution like expanding commercial gaming requires a constitutional amendment, meaning the citizens have to vote on it in an even-numbered year, and the next time, chance to do that is the fall of 2020, which feels an eternity away
0: if you're a year-by-year budgeteer. But, as we had <laughs> mentioned on a previous yeah, episode— you heard it here. Right? <laughs> you heard it here. There is a lot of temptation now, at least to try and bring on sports betting without a constitutional Amendment. So essentially, we saw Washington, D.C. sort of do this through their lottery. And this is now gaining some traction here in Maryland to say, you know what, we don't have to put it on the ballot. We'll let the, the lottery handle it. So we'll do sports betting through our lottery. Obviously, some questions there. And I think they'll probably have to get an opinion from the attorney general. But it seems like this is certainly in play.
1: Well it's in play for a number of reasons. One is I think the citizens are interested. Absolutely. And there's there's a there's a cadre of Marylanders who would want to be able to do this legally and I think this is a, very much like the debate for slots and for table games that if it's not here, Marylanders will find it. They'll go to West Virginia, they'll go to Delaware, they'll go to D.C., they'll go to Pennsylvania. They'll go to the bookie. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, that's always been sure, there. Sure. But if you want to do it legally right. now, I mean, you know, so there's that stripe of citizen mm-hmm. who, who you know, wants to do this above board and have a sheet of paper and that, that sort of stuff. Anyway, bottom line is, okay, If if, if we're going to end up just you know, building nicer roads in West Virginia, maybe you want to do it here and build nicer roads here. That yeah, makes sense, right? right. So um, so as, as a practical matter, the idea of making this a lottery enterprise rather than a commercial enterprise – I mean commercial is the word in that constitutional clause. Right. So maybe that's your end around, but this will be a, a tricky one the tricky one to try and thread the needle for but both the 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 motivation for it and the potential dollars that are behind it i think uh that when there's a will there's a way um, the governor himself seemed to indicate he was. He thought there was a pretty good chance something might get worked out on
0: this. If he was a betting man.
1: If he were a betting man, get right, it, of course. Uh-huh. Okay, pretty good.
0: All right. Another issue we've talked about is the fight for 15. And, Michael, we have seen a proposal pop up now. I think we speculated that this might be some sort of phase-in. And the proposal on the table now is a $15 per hour minimum wage by 2023. So right now we're sitting at $10.10 and the idea here would be to gradually raise the minimum wage to 15 bucks by 2023 right
1: and so i mean we we talked about this as something where first few days of session made it sound like this was a layup and uh, that might might still be the case I I'm I still subscribe to the point of view that this is going to be challenging. And we're already seeing some of the advocates for a $15 minimum wage using the words clean 15. Right. And I I think that is the harbinger of the debate ahead may not be whether to do this, but how how broad, how many exceptions, how many, you know, puts and takes and what have-yous are going to be involved in what could be a tricky issue um we haven't heard what the governor might have to say about this and we we don't know what the take will be from the not yeah you know, from the business community not not necessarily um, you know I'm thinking of this is an economy where jobs are relatively plentiful. We it's it's relatively tough to drag somebody into work right now. Absolutely, there aren't. I mean, there aren't there aren't a lot of places saying we're paying we're paying ten ten. Come on in and get in a long line. So uh the you know a gradual move to fifteen may not feel as abrupt in this setting as it might have two or three years ago. Right. So I I, I don't know what the overall landscape will be for that move, but uh, I, I think this is tougher than, than than just throwing it out there, see where the votes are, and pass it out of the Senate. I, I think this one may prove to be – I think the chances are good they'll pass it. But what it is, I think it's still up for grabs.
0: Yeah, I mean jobs are plentiful. I mean we know already that Walmart is increasing its minimum wage to $11. Costco is at 14 Target plans to go to 15 by 2020. So we're seeing the big guys already – Understanding that jobs are plentiful and that they need to change their practices, but for the mom and pop shops here in Maryland, and also you have a regional issue here too. We know that the economy in in Howard and Montgomery County is a lot right. different than it is out west in Allegheny and Garrett. Yeah, so, so yeah, yeah, that's something they're going to have to keep in mind.
1: Yeah, you have all this stuff, and then you know, what does it mean for seasonal workers, and what does it mean for disabled workers? What about you know, what about kids. Y- young kids and so forth, summer jobs and things like that? Uh, these are all the rent. That always show up with these proposals, and none of them are things you can just dismiss out of hand as absurd. So uh, that they'll it'll take some grappling with that. And I think it's you know, we talked last time about the Senate Finance Committee and the House Economic Matters Committee that oversee labor issues and employment sort of stuff. Um we're gonna we're gonna see the the metal of those committees get tested by this bill because there's a lot of movement for it, but there's a lot of pieces yet to get worked out.
0: Okay, let's talk now about some speculation about the vote for treasurer. Our treasurer here in Maryland, Nancy Cop. Lots of rumors flying, Michael, about the Democratic Party and whether or not they believe that the treasurer is representing the party enough. Uh, what What are you yeah. hearing, Michael? I know the Black Caucus, uh, it's unconfirmed that they were right. talking about the treasurer, but some stuff had leaked out. Uh, they're asking for voting records. What's going on
1: here? Right. I I don't think we, we know exactly what's going on, but uh, sort of – I mean, this is one of the things I think we should put in the camp of we're looking forward to this. Um, it's a little bit peculiar. Right now on the dates of interest for the legislative session, uh, what we've got is a TBA for election for the treasurer. So the treasurer is different than the two other statewide positions. Governor and comptroller are both on the ballot elected directly by the people. So right. we're all familiar with that. The treasurer is a murkier process, but every four years a person is elected to serve as the as the state treasurer elected by the G- General Assembly as a whole, which is a little bit weird. The Senate usually does its own thing, has its votes. The House, with three times as many members, has their own votes. But here, they're just sort of thrown into one big bucket, which really means it's the House of Delegates that more or less owns this appointment. Um, it's a representative of the General Assembly. Typically, they have been former General Assembly members. That's not required, but it's it's mostly happened. Uh, Nancy Copp, the current treasurer, who who served for three terms, was a longtime member of the House of Delegates and on the Appropriations Committee, and was a you know a financial leader in the House, uh, as was her predecessor. So, so um a- anyway. I don't think there's anybody suggesting that Nancy Copp is anything but exceptional mm-hmm. in carrying out her duties as treasurer. It's, just, you know, managing the, 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 the state's finances and investments and things of that nature. Um It's a different job than comptroller. That's a little bit different to sort out. But if comptroller is on the raising of revenues and administering the tax programs, the treasurer sort of does the bond sales, manages the finances and the various reserve funds and other things like that. Right. That's the treasurer's job. Um so I don't think anybody thinks Nancy Kopp is, is anything but a grade A treasurer.
0: But well, once again, we're talking about the Board of Public yeah, it's Works the again. the Board of Public Works. And this and, was a big topic of discussion right. last year with the school right. construction bill, and, and, it and just, it's coming up again.
1: Yeah, it just washed out. Every conversation about school construction suddenly turned into the politics of the Board of Public Works, which is – An unusual, an unusually heavily powerful body in Maryland. This three-member panel looks over contracts, looks over all sorts of things within state finances and operations. uh, Big hand in school construction and capital programs and so forth. So, um, she's a member of the Board of Public Works, and there are there. We've seen a few things pop up in media reports that have suggested that elements in the Democratic Party are saying, "Well, I'd rather have." I'd rather have a treasurer who's who's going to bat against the Republican governor when there are matters of difference and maybe Nancy Kopp isn't that person in that setting. Right. So um I don't know where this leads. It's a TBA as to when this vote's going to happen, but the whispers that the legislative black caucus took this up as a conversation may add another element to this conversation. Especially because
0: the legislative black caucus holds 45 of the 99 democratic seats in the house. So significant number, right? And so if there is some consternation there, you'd have to think at least that there could be an issue for this vote TBA as to when in two thousand and fifteen right. it was in February right right yeah,
1: late late February, four years ago, and that seems to be the traditional time, but it 's not spelled out in the Constitution or in statute exact you know it 's not one of these things it has to be done by day forty four of the session or anything like that, so uh, we 'll see when that gets announced and when it comes together, and this may be. I mean, this may be sound and fury signifying nothing. Right. There's a decent chance that this turns into just another overwhelming win for Nancy Kopp and a lot of support for her, but there's writing on the wall suggesting that may not be the case, and that would be a
0: headline grabber. So that's something that we are looking forward to, how that all plays out. I'm going to take the easy way out and say that one of the things I'm looking forward to – we talked about the budget earlier on this podcast – right tomorrow, Friday, when the budget is released, we'll have a chance to really go through it. We'll have the weekend to sift through and, you know, look at every section and determine what's exactly in the proposal. I'm looking forward to doing that because I'm a nerd. But I think that it's significant, and we'll be able to talk more about it. You'll you'll see coverage on our blog and whatnot. But right. look forward to that because it's a big deal.
1: And and you'll be denied some of the fun because usually it's going through the thirty or fifty or eighty page reconciliation oh, bill gosh. is where some of the great treasures can be found. Yeah. A year without a burfa is it's going to be disappointing. You for I'm you, very Kevin. disappointed, yeah, Michael. I, mean, you.
0: I can tell. I can tell. <laughs> okay. Anything else that uh, you're looking forward to? You know, tomorrow's Friday, this week or next week here in Annapolis, obviously lots of bill hearings. We're getting lots of bills dropped now. We're starting to see uh, those packets get bigger and bigger so a lot of that's right. going on anything else
1: yeah just up and down the hallway now it's members who have gotten back the draft or the bill they're working on they're shopping around for co-sponsors and so forth so bills actually being dropped in and introduced you know signed a number and assigned to a committee is relatively light right now but it's not like this is going to be a year
0: without a wave of bills There's, there there are a lot of them out there yeah i'm i'm pretty confident of that so a lot of work there uh, we will of course keep you informed. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a like. Tell your friends; it helps us get our message out. Michael, anything else today? Or we're gonna we're gonna convene again next week, obviously, and we'll talk about the latest news here in Annapolis. We'll give some policy updates. But sounds like this is a, a pretty good episode and a pretty good time to call it a day. Sessions in full swing. Sessions in full swing. So with that, Kevin and Michael signing off. We will talk to you next week. Have a great day.